I tell people all the time when they complain about Instagram, I just say, delete it. You're mad, you hate the ads, you hate Zuckerberg, just delete it. And they start to tell me all the reasons they can't. <laughs> well, it's got all my photos. Uh, but then I would lose, it's like, yeah, because you've built, like you've invested and invested and now you're complaining about your investment. But like, you could always bail, nobody does. I'm Ben Grenell, part of the early startup team here at Levels. We're building tech that helps people to understand their metabolic health, and this is your front row seat to everything we do. This is a whole new level. Behavior change is a really deep topic. It's something that you can dig into from a design perspective. You can start to think about touch points that you design for people. You can start to influence people to have certain outcomes. When you think about things like cue, routine, reward, well, these are all part of a habit loop. So Brett Redinger, principal designer who recently joined Levels, he and I sat down and we talked about this idea of designing opportunities for joy, designing opportunities for surprise, elements that will lead to certain intrinsic motivation or give people a sense of encouragement in the tooling, in the platform that they're provided to make their own choices and to influence their behavior outcomes. So we broke down all of these different things, different elements of motivation, whether it's intrinsic or extrinsic, talking about things like cues, talking about things like routine and even reward, how people can think about these habits for themselves, whether they've got tooling in front of them or not. It was really fun to jam with Brett and to hear more about his perspective as he thinks about designing the product of Levels. Here's where we kick things off. Let's kick it off here. You've got a fascinating background. You've got your site, your website, and you've got this tagline that says, I design smiles and habits every day. You've worked with companies like Facebook and Tesla and Nike and Disney and GE and all of these companies on these different initiatives. When we think about design as a function or a facet, a lot of times the heuristic might be pushing pixels. But really, when you get down to design, like this foundation of design, you can start to think about like designing experiences and designing for positive habits or positive behavior change to unfold. So why don't we kick it off there, this whole idea of design and behavior change in the intersection and the marriage between all of it. Yeah. So one, I prototyped for myself for Tesla because I, when I, so that's the one job that didn't hire me. <laughs> I like them, but they didn't hire me just, so, just to keep the record straight. Yeah. So you summed it up really well. So like, I wouldn't say I focus really, I spent, so like the arc, right? And I can like go into uh, too much about the arc of design, but like started out designing, I was more of like an art director. So I was like doing stuff like a uh, tapulous tap, tap revenge. I did Katy Perry's app, Lady Gaga. And I would like take their style, make a bunch of art, stick it into a bunch of UI. That was kind of like, let it out the door. But that's like where I got it. That job is where I started to get into like game design. So I was like hanging out with game designers and I was like reading about ELO systems and like all the different ways that games are made and like how people respond to games and how play is like pretty much outside of pain, the best educator. So it's like a lot of what we'll talk about is seeking pleasure and avoiding pain, but like play has like predefined rules with a high limit for reward and a low limit for pain. It's like, we agree that we'll stop at a certain point or we won't have any malintent. 
But yeah, so like that arc was kind of like, first it was art. And then I was like, got super into like the neurology aspect, the behavioral aspect. And that's where I met Nier. One time I reached out to Nier. I read something he wrote and I was like, habit is the first step in a three-step process. So your whole book is about step one. And he was like, fuck is this guy? Like he's at Stanford. He was writing Hooked at the time. And so we just like met up and uh, I'm a big believer in what Nier preaches, but also Nier is a person. He's a great human. We've been friends for a long time. And his intention, he's always wanted people to design better habits. He just broke down. He did a great job of like getting into the trigger action reward, being that variable reward, being that like loop mm-hmm. to, to routine. To me, that was the first step in a three-step process, which and like people don't find the other two steps that interesting unless you're like a habit dork. <laughs> but as a habit dork, you go to a restaurant. We're just talking about food. You go to a restaurant and somebody hands you a book and that little book is closed up and it's got a piece of paper in it and you sign. And it's like, this makes no sense. We live in the modern world. Like, let me tap my phone, like do this thing, right? But like the habit, the first, like somebody needed, like you had to tab, you didn't have to pay up front. It was like, assume that you were gonna consume the food and then decide to pay. And like that formed, right? And then like this somewhere, I haven't tracked this one back, but like, I track a lot of the weird ones back, but like then it started coming in this book. To this day, it's 2023 and someone's still out there producing these tiny little books and things like that because it went from habit to being a cultural thing. And then like, so bowing, bowing is one that can actually break down. So bowing started as people in Asia, the samurai, you had to show them your neck. That was the idea. It was like, oh, you're like so dominant over me that like, go ahead, take it. They showed you their neck. And then it just became this way of saying hello. And it's like, now no one's going to stop bowing. Even when you talk to people, you're like, why do you bow? You're like, it's, you know, it's what people do, right? So like, this is really interesting idea that it started out as this habit and then it like became a cultural thing. And then it's so ingrained, it's just a tradition and people don't know why they do them. That's to me, like where I find that super interesting. Yeah, you can go so deep when you get into the, I mean, the nerdiest aspect of design is the intersection of the psychology of it, right? And yeah. as you said, breaking down habits into trigger routine reward. I mean, there are all these like different, parts of it that we can break apart. But why don't we go into the idea of like, how do people even form these habits? And how does that inform some of the work that you do from a design perspective? Well, yeah. So I think of habits as just biases for action. When you talk about a bias, like if I had to relearn how to conversate every time, because I never stored any information about waiting, pausing, letting you talk, sharing my idea, asking you questions, letting it, like, right? Like I had to like relearn that, like it would be almost impossible to live life. In 20, like the past few years, it's all been like, oh, we got to break up bias, stop bias. Oh, sure, there's lots of bad bias, but like 90% of the bias is what keeps reality rolling, right? And then so when I see habits, I think of bias towards actions. So it's like, I go running, like I get up in the morning and I try to get some physical activity, like right out the gates. But it's because it's like, I've experienced the arc of like, not doing that, feeling off, not really getting it, being maybe a little antsy in my seat before I do something. And then it's just like, I just got to get it out of my, like, so I've built this habit. And it's almost the majority of them, I like to be more positive and say that they're not, the majority of them are, are seeking like pain avoidant. But they, I mean, that's true. It's like a, a lot of them are like the pleasure seeking ones we can get into them from terms of like, it's so hard because like, I know all this to be true, but I also know drug addicts. I've met drug addicts and alcoholics and it's so hard because you're avoiding pain by making more pain. Like that gets really confusing at the dark end. I just started a book, Dopamine Nation, which is a really great book on addiction. 
but I'm not informed enough to speak to it directly yet, but maybe our next podcast will be about that. Um, but yeah, so like on the happy side, on the medium to happy side, habits designed properly, we're doing real work to help people. That's when I got out of video games and got out of like, I, I, I did, I wouldn't say crimes, but like getting kids addicted to games doesn't feel great at the end when you're like, oh, yay, now we've put a, we've got like a hundred million users and they're just a bunch of kids that are drilling away at a video game. You're like, oh man, I don't know. I guess it's like they're avoiding some pain with entertainment, but I got out of games and I haven't looked back. I don't think I'd go back to that space. I appreciate it for what it is, but it's just not my thing. The thing with habits is like, you can have really good habits and you can have bad habits. And that's the challenges. The idea isn't just to undo bad habits. It's to promote good habits and to promote that those go on and on. And when you dig into it, like how much of that, so let's go into this macro category of habits, but how much of it is intrinsic motivation and how much of it is tooling? When you start to think about design, like designing the tooling to inspire the habit. How much does each play a role? Is it a, a crossover of both? Like you have to have some intrinsic motivation or can you use the tooling where it just drives the habit? Like go deeper into that. Sure, yeah. So like when you say tooling, I think of perception, right? So like perception is reality. That's like no surprise, right? But forming your habit is just as much about shaping the perception of the habit, of the product. And a lot of brands spend the majority of their money on carving out that perception, right? So that's like almost all of marketing influencing is carving up this perception of, of value added, of the scratch itch, of like maybe an itch you didn't know you had. I've heard a few VC firms break it down as like utility or luxury. And like luxury is utility in a lot of ways. I don't know, in my mind, like I don't have kids, but because I'm the age I'm at and I don't know, the algorithms are always trying to sell me nanny services. A nanny service is a utility and a luxury, right? So like there's a real blurry line. It's not like as binary as people would say, but back to what you're asking is like, so marketing needs to do the job of carving out the perception and sales. I Like marketing and sales are carving the perception. That perception needs to be matched by the product. Whatever levels team is selling out in the world, we have to be matched, like the levels team, the design team has to be building, right? So that there's a cohesion because trust is the currency by which brands trade on. The Fed never opened iMessage. Right? I, don't think we, I think we all watched that, right? Like, and I don't know, I think maybe we went Supreme Court even, but like, they're just like, hey, we can't, we don't make it that way. Like, I don't know. People trust Apple so deeply. Their net promoter score is, I think, the highest in history. So for me, a lot of that is like, I'm trying to back up marketing. So I'm trying to like, okay, like we want to sell, like there's, I've heard a lot of different, there's clear documentation, obviously, but like from individuals, around like what levels does, right? And it's like, we're trying to alleviate the metabolic crisis, right? But uh, for me, it's like the hard, cold truth of all of these things is that nobody can make change for you, but you, right? So like mm -hmm. we can be a support, like, but that's like what I believe levels does is like creates, is uh, supports you by giving you objective information around, like, because there's a lot of subjectivity, right? You can, miles of it, we can go get crystals to heal our metabolic health, right? The objective part is like, I have this thing. It's just getting a little sample of like getting a little out of my blood and it's giving me objective truths around of what's happening. So let's go back. I almost have never seen a habit without comprehension. So like, if you don't know, if we're trying to bring something new to your table, we're trying to put something on like on you, you have to understand, like, even if like gambling, you're pulling the thing because the comprehension is there that like, there's a reward involved, but like without comprehension of reward, without 
I've even been guilty of calling it cognitive load versus reward. Cognitive load is a really big loaded topic that science actually has a bunch of predetermined things to say about it. But like cost, reward, benefit analysis or whatever, right? So like, why am I going to do this? Like, what am I going to get out of it? People run that constantly. So like, I'm always pointing to people with that of those, trying to bridge all of those ideas that we just talked about, right? So like, is marketing selling the right thing? Are we painting the picture of, a, of an itch like that we can improve you or the things that can improve? Are we following through with that and like how we execute? And then a lot of that comes in and then like why I say, you mentioned that my little tagline on my site, I have to find all of that's co so complicated and I got to make you smile. I got to make you like remember it. I got to make you laugh. I got to make it like into variable reward. And like, that's where my video game pass comes in great. Like, I don't know, maybe you've seen a couple of things I've made so far and they're not, they're not in the app yet, but we're getting there. But like, they're all the little explosions of pixels. They're like little happy faces. They're little, I have a dancing guy. I can't wait. I'll show you the dancing guy. We've got like, you know, when you log food, we got a guy that's like, you break your record. It's like, and it's silly. And like, a lot of people will be like, why would we do this? And it's like, because variable reward is like the thing in my mind. It's like one of the biggest things that's overlooked in the product design process. Because if it's just like, oh, hey, you got a, like the little like button popped. It's like, that's so multivariable. Who liked it? What was it? There's so many things about that. And we have these really linear things like what food did you log? What's your score? So we have to find ways to like really bring joy to those moments. Yeah, see, the idea of unexpected surprise and joy drives dopamine, right? One of the challenges with these dopamine hits though, because dopamine hits can be good, but you can get into a, a place. So we'll use, we'll break it down to interface design, but also algorithms, right? And there's a lot of things that can be done to inspire or to increase these dopamine hits that can start to get on the slippery slope of forming these dark patterns, right? Oh, yeah. How do you start to think about avoiding, like, if you are being, uh, we'll call it an ethical, air quotes, ethical designer, right? Sure. Your, yeah. your goal is to, like, inspire behavior change, inspire these dopamine hits within a certain constraint, we'll say but not go so deep down the path that you start to inspire these dark patterns. And to your point of like some of the maybe moral dilemmas that what it sounds like came about when you're doing game design, where you're like, yeah, we really like, we crushed a ton of users, but like, I don't know if I can get behind <laughs> sitting there and just like hammering on the buttons of the game and it's driving a ton of dopamine hits and it's doing all the things we did, but like, eh, how do you start to think about that? Avoiding dark patterns, but and still being an, we'll call it an ethical designer. Yeah. Well, so what are we trying to do, right? Like, so that comes back to like where you point this weapon, this laser, right? And I'm trying to point it at the unhealthy version of you, right? So like being at a healthcare company, we're trying to, hey, we're trying to carve, we're trying to get you on this drug of joy that takes you to, a, that improves your life, not takes your money at like in the gambling sense or the other ones, right? So like, I believed from the outside looking in, I was like, this company, this process, this end goal is a good place to aim a habit formation. And like in terms of dark patterns, a lot of them are so, they were interesting at the early, let's call it web 2.0, I guess. They're interesting at that point because they were like tricking people into spending money. But here's the problem with that. You break trust immediately, mm -hmm. right? And so once you break trust, it there's a beautiful meme I just saw the other day. It was like, I'm sure it's like a famous quote, but I just caught it as a meme. It was like, it takes 
years to develop trust, minutes to break it. And it takes or weeks, months to build trust, minutes to break it, and years to rebuild it. Or so, it's some, I'm getting the metrics wrong, but you get the general idea. And so like we constantly, once you have somebody's trust, like you're holding it with such care that like you never do those things. So it's like people always, like I get hit with like dark pattern questions. What are my favorite ones? How, like, how do I use them? I'm always like, never. It's a cheap <laughs> win. I'm sitting here trying to make you fall in love. It's like asking you, like, how do you trick somebody in dating you? It's like, no, I just trick them. I like, I'd be me. And like, I, you know, I'm authentic. I get like authenticity goes so much further. Authenticity and honesty goes so much further and makes so much more for you than, uh, than one of those things that it's not even comparable really. Yeah. Dark patterns are so dangerous because companies can fall into the trap of pursuing them for the wrong reason. So we'll say driving growth, right? Like driving growth, driving more users, more members, more, it depends on the type of product, but people to do this certain thing. And that becomes a, like, let's get a little meta for a sec is like meta about meta, right? That becomes the initiative of the company that becomes a dopamine hit. Like the dopamine hit for the company is, Hey, we're driving growth. We're getting people to do this thing. And like, that feels really good. You're also in that game, right? As a company, it's like you are in the game of growth if you're a VC-backed company. And so the dichotomy is trying to play between doing the ethical and the right thing and the authentic thing, as you mentioned, that's got the long lens. Like, how do we do this for the long game while still maintaining a path of progression, right? Not this idea of let's just manufacture this thing for people to do in the short term so that we can say, hey, cool, look, we got all these vanity metrics. We got a whole bunch of people to do this like one thing. And it's like, mm. yeah, is that one thing actually what you want the outcome to be? Yeah. Are you doing it to report some like outcome that makes it, it sort of like inflates or manufactures this idea of pat ourselves on the back. We're doing great. But it's like, is that mission aligned? You know, I mean, it's yeah. a little philosophical, but it gets into the idea of thinking with a long lens when trying to design these behaviors. Yeah. Well, no, I'm here for it. I like you're talking about, but my immediate response would be, yes, we're focused on the long-term gains. So when we actually achieve the mission, we get somebody to like understand blood glucose. We help them. We don't do anything for them, but we help them take control of their diet and of their exercise patterns and like understanding how their food is affecting their mood and their health. They become evangelists. That's growth, right? So if I pinged you and I was like, hey, dude, you got to try this restaurant. Oh, I told you like why it's so great. The difference between that hit versus the a pop-up in your like a scroll in your Instagram feed of me like with a ring light and like a TikTok dance telling you either you can't even compare the two. It's immeasurable amounts of influence. But when you come from a point of so like our long-term gains and short-term gains, I don't think any VC should be, I wouldn't trust any of them that are focused on short-term gains and like short-term rises like that, right? Oh, we're gonna hit a million, then two million, then three million. It's like, hey, let's get a million evangelists for our product. And then like, we have this long-term where like our lens is so pulled out that people like, and then nobody can get in the way of that, right? I haven't really met any ones that I trusted that were like, let's see how quick we can cash this and throw these people out. Like, let's get, you know, like nobody's focused on that. And especially in healthcare, of all places. When it comes to behavior change and forming habits, there are certain things that can be done from a macro perspective, we'll say within product, right? product community, it doesn't matter, education, but there's a lot of things that can be done from a macro perspective, but how much when you're thinking about designing these things, do you think about 
the challenge of designing for personalization. So that being like interests, that being right sub communities or subgroups where we'll say some tooling, tooling being interfaces, some tooling is just not going to work for the jobs to be done for a certain group of people because of interests or because of the actual tool. Like, hey, I don't use this thing for that. I use the hammer to open bottle caps on a, <laughs> like a beer and other people are using it for like framing a house. And so it's just like completely different execution. Totally ridiculous example. But how do you think about personalization when you're trying to do something that's going to work for enough people knowing that it's like not perfect for everyone? Well, yeah. So I spend every... So before I opened my Figma file, which if it wasn't in such a mess right now, I'd just screen share and do it. But like my first screen, they call it your cover. It's hard to explain, but like when you see all your files, it's like a cover file for your thing. Mine says the fun zone. <laughs> so like at the front. And then when I open that, then the first thing I do before I pull through all my other pages is I've got all of our personas up, right? And I'll like go back and reread them. It's like my, I don't eat sushi, but I know people eat something before sushi ginger they like put a little ginger on their tongue and somehow that like clears the palate and like prepares them for the thing so for me i cleanse with that so i start with this thing i start and like i am a user right so like i don't have mine on today because i mma later but like i fit into bracket but i'm also well aware of these other four or five major groups that we design for and uh that focus for me, it's in every single thing I do. <laughs> and so I, I and I never get to escape it. Like I would love a day off from having to think about the, the whole thing. I think what really helps people from a UX perspective, and like Alan is great at this, is going from eagle to ant and how well you can context switch from eagle, what are we doing and why, and like how and generally who are we trying to help? And then like ant, how is this zoom down to the detail of like, but how would this reward or how would this work? If I'm this persona, like, how does this feel? And you're, so you're, it's like this insane ADD context switching thing that you have to like actually do that's like not negative in life where that's normally like pretty painful for people. It was like, it's really helpful in the product design process because you have to switch personalities. You got to switch context. You have to constant switch. It's a multivariate balancing problem after that. Yeah, it's interesting because there's so much that can be done and you can get lost in the weeds when you get really deep and all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh. I have to get to the 10,000 foot view to make sure that we're still on the right track with what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I mean, and that's what our team is great at. I mean, that's like Moz, like everybody, once something gets shared, it's like everybody's great at hurting this from the little to the, from the micro to the macro. Why don't we go into the breaking down habits into Q routine reward? Let's go through that habit cycle yeah. and just break down some of the thoughts and how people can form these habits. Like there's the tooling side of things, but then there's also giving people insight into if they haven't read books on habit, like Atomic Habits sure. or Hooked or any of these yeah. great books, why don't we break down what they are and some of the sure. thoughts on like what people can do when they're trying to form their own positive habits and make long-term behavior change. A great habit is if people want to floss more and they lay the floss out beside their toothbrush so it's like, oh, that's my cue to like remember to do that thing before I do the other every night. You form the habit over time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, each of these, I encourage Nier all the time. I'm like, you should just write a book about each. He wrote the book on, but I, I'm always like, dude, just make one on just triggers. Because if you just like, if you can go so deep on, 
okay, so on like that from the trigger aspect, there's like extrinsic and intrinsic. And I think there's a lot of arguments we can go into, but like at the general level, something starts often in the modern world when it comes to products, they start like from an extrinsic. The world shows you something, an ad gets to you, a friend comes to you and or an evangelist of a brand is like, I love this thing, it worked for me. And somebody's painting a picture for you of a better future, of either pain avoiding or pleasure seeking, right? Oh my God, you got to try this food. That's not necessarily, you can call it pain avoiding because you're like, oh, you're hungry or like, oh, like you haven't tried anything new in a while. Like maybe that could link that out that way or just pleasure seeking like, oh my God, this pizza, right? It's just, and like someone that goes at my mouth just waters from hearing that because again, my brain has had pizza enough times, right? So, but what's really interesting is like these, what I find is like the, these edges, right? I have this internal trigger, this internal need because I know I don't feel good, right? And then you start seeking these rewards or these pathways, they'll help you be pain avoidant in that way. We can get into the annoying triggers, but like, or notifications, pings. In the modern world, I think most people leave, I, almost everybody I know leaves their phone on silent. I don't subscribe to any emails. I've got the most amazing blockers for spam. All the tools that I almost, again, I'll call them like web 2.0 tools. All the tools for getting my attention are like completely almost all of them are a miss at this point. But I am also a product designer. I designed my life. I know a bunch of people that have a 300 inbox. I live a zero inbox life, right? Like they have the things I can't necessarily like relate to, but there's piles of triggers and just finding the ones that work for your brand and for your what you're doing and what your service is, is one of the, probably the, one of the biggest challenges. So let's say there's a scenario where a person has the right intent. They've come around, like let's sort of role play this one out. Somebody's come around to the point where they've got this intent. They've said, I'm going to hack myself. I'm going to lay out my gym clothes because I've heard that if you lay out your gym clothes before going to the gym or the night before, there's a higher probability that you'll actually lace up the shoes and go for the run. That is relatively true, but it's also really easy to just get up and look at them and be like, ah, I'm grabbing my phone. Ah, not today. Yeah. Like there are all these excuses. And so like the intent is there, but there's still this like mental hurdle in execution. And so let's take it to the extreme. Sure. I want to get better at exercising or running. I physically put a treadmill in front of my bedroom door so that it, like it will magically remove itself. <laughs> you have to run for 10 minutes or some amount of time for it to like be physically removed it like vanishes into the world so you can go to these extremes of trying to hack your own habits but how extreme should people and can people take it because there are times where like hypothetically somebody needs that support mechanism or the accountability mechanism of the like air quotes treadmill in front of their door because they're like this is the only thing that like i need to get out of my room so like this is a means to an end yeah. Yeah, But eventually you could just sort of like dismiss that and be like, I did it and it's not there anymore. And they go like, assume that we get to this steady state. And it's like, you have achieved the level. You've won the game. Now you're accountable enough to yourself that you'll do this in long term. And then the next day, somebody goes back to just the habit of not doing it. So how much should people or can people go to these extremes? Or is it, are there other things that people can do based on your experience and expertise where when one mechanism, like the laying out the clothes the night before, doesn't quite work, is it try something else that's simple like that to give the cue? Is it go to the extreme of like treadmill in front of the door? Like, what's sort of your outlook on that? 
I'm going to unpack a lot of that because you just stumbled. You just like went through a bull in a china shop through like all the things that actually <laughs> are like happening here. Right. So let's go back to like the beginning. Like, so motivation, there's a something fog guy from Stanford. He made P equals M A T. So behavior equals motivation over ability and trigger, right? That's just the whole thing backwards. So let's just like flip that back. So trigger, what you're talking about is like, you become motivated and you're now you're trying to hack your behavior. So you're laying something in your way, being in your way. And I have a friend that just literally just told me what you told me. He's like, oh, I put a dip bar between my bed and my door. And I was like, okay. And then like, those are great when you're actually, but like those assume that you're motivated, right? So without motivation, which is like one of the hardest things to hack in life for some people, without that, it's just a thing you're going to walk around. It's just a messy room, right? The underlying mechanism there is, well, first off motivation, but the ability that we're assuming that you have the motivation to do it, the ability to get done what you're trying to do. So like, say like when it comes to fitness, all of this, what you have to feel is either you have to back to trigger. You have to like hear somebody else be like, oh, hey, Ben, oh, I like you've been running a lot and you look great. So like, there's this like, oh, I want that compliment, <laughs> right? Or you have to have the experience where you actually got over this hump to like work out once or twice and some part of the universe, whether it's internal, that like gave you that, I ran and I feel good after. That's what people don't get. Like none of these people are like extreme cyclists. And I find cycling to be terrible. Like it hurts my whole body. I like the hunch, I dislocated my shoulder once. I sit at an angle that's just like uninviting. But like, I've ridden bikes 50 plus miles, but like once you come off of that high, you're like, oh, and then now you're back. What other people are processing or what you prior were processing as pain and you were seeing as like, oh, why would I do that? It hurts. It's expensive. Bikes are this, bikes that. Because the reward on the other side of that feels so good. It's like, now you're hooked. Now you're, you got an airtight helmet that does a thing. You got spandex. You're investing. So that's like one of these bigger arcs that we didn't really like cover was investment phase. It's like one of the most important phases in the whole process, right? Now, yeah, I tell people all the time when they complain about Instagram, I just say, delete it, just delete it. You're mad, you hate the ads, you hate Zuckerberg, you know, just delete it. And they start to tell me all the reasons they can't. <laughs> well, it's got all my photos, uh, but then I would lose. It's like, yeah, because you've built, like you've invested and invested and invested and now you're complaining about your investment, but like you could always bail, but nobody does. There's this whether you're extreme biker, once it's just once you get that hit and then once you've invested, because you can get that hit and then not invest and you can be gone. Without the investment, without stored value, it's very hard to come back to products, digital products, especially so. Yeah, sunk costs can lead people down a very weird path. Like if you don't ignore sunk costs, if you just look at it and you're like, well, I've put so much into this. It's like, scrap it. Some costs. You're, yeah. you're not getting any of that back. That's gone. The ship yeah. has sailed. Yeah. Now move forward with what do you, how, how do you want to, uh, Mike D and I had a conversation the other day. We were talking about the idea of casting votes for who you want to be tomorrow, right? That says, hey, ignore, you've got a bunch of sunk costs. Like, who cares? Yeah. Who do you want to be tomorrow, right? When thinking through the idea of motivation, is such a fascinating topic to go into, right? Especially when you get into the idea of, Dan Pink with autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And a lot of that has to do with intrinsic motivation. Why don't we break down the idea of extrinsic motivation doesn't necessarily lead people to get the right outcome, but there's a time and a place for 
extrinsic motivators, right? Like there is a time and a place and that's been proved. When used in the wrong place, they actually lead to lower motivation though. And that's where intrinsic motivation comes in. So why don't we break down the idea of like when to use intrinsic motivators, like little things that will help to drive more intrinsic motivation and then when extrinsic rewards actually work. Yeah. So I know it's a meaty topic, but yeah, yeah, again, a book or a whole podcast, just motivation. And I wish I could say that like I was the master of motivation in life, but like as somebody who is in a permanent state of motivation, this is like one of my larger struggles. Cause I, when I'm, people are just like, well, they're just not motivated. It's just like, what are they? Like if we are not motivated, like what are we? I have literally friends that are just like, I know exactly what I need to do. These are all of my problems and I just can't get myself to do them. And you're just like, what do you, okay. The way that I like, in those cases, I'm like, you need an accountability buddy. You need somebody to hold you to like, what you're talking about, it votes for the future, to hold you to back that vote, to hold you to the action. And that's where I think one of the hardest bridges for people to get across is action. And when they're incapable of the smallest amount, that's like where it becomes really hard. But that smallest amount is where we catch people, right? So like if they can give us a little bit, we can give them that, we can give them that reward and we can keep ratcheting that up and we can like find somebody super motivated and super reward driven because we've continued to support them with like new rewards and new ways of doing things. We built bigger piles of trust. If you draw levels out and let's start with somebody who is barely interested, maybe was gifted levels, kind of didn't even really want to do it. It's like, okay, I'll give it a try, but does have some pervasive health issues that could really be helped by your levels. If I can get them to get the first CGM on and just get a ground truth, just get a base understanding and enough motivation to get over that hump, which is not, we're not going to make that hump. We're not going to play that down. That's still a hump, right? But like we can get them up over that. I can hit them with like the way that we intend to do scoring in the future or have been talked a lot about is a much more dynamic from where you are to where you're going. Not necessarily like here's David Sinclair, good luck, get there, you know, but like let's ratchet you up. So meeting people where they're at and giving them like rewards and hits based off of that and giving them, and only that, but like not saying like uh, becoming, so when you come from a place of knowing, like, hey, I know all of this, like, I don't know anything. What I'm sharing with you is a, a scratch of the surface of reality that from my little bit of a lens. But when you come from a place of knowing, when you're talking to, to a customer, Versus a place of exploration, especially when it comes to health. It's like, hey, let's find out what this does to you. Where does CGM? Let's see what it does. Let's see. Okay, cool. Let's see. Now let's try this diet or like try mixing, like try reducing this by a little bit and meaning that by a little bit more. A lot of people don't do well with do this, get back to us. Like that doesn't work for, I would almost argue the majority of people. So people want guidance, but they like nobody wants to be controlled, right? So we give them that little bit of guidance to say, like, let them, but they have to feel not only the reward from like what we make and how we communicate, but they need to feel the health reward. They need to catch that compliment out in reality. Oh, look, you're ordering that. Oh, I would have thought you would order this. Or like, you need to feel some kind of social validation, some kind of thing out in reality that's like, oh yeah, this is a better choice. And that comes to who you're around and things that like are slightly outside of our control. But and on our end, I'm like, boom, pixel explosion, happy face dance. You just did better than yesterday. I'm sure you've read like, I think there's like 3% better as a book out. There's a few of those phosphates, like just make these tiny improvements, right? Back to your question, like when I'm trying to get somebody that motivation, I need that little bit and then I can make that bit, this bit, and then we can make, you know, right? And we can keep ratcheting it up and trying to get you to a point where you don't even wear the CGM, use the app like to track, but you're like, 
this is what got me on track and you're out there in the world feeling that reward. You've gone from being somewhat motivated to like largely motivated, right? Like that's our goal is pull up people's motivation in a direction of health. There's an interesting thing around using extrinsic motivation, like the other side of that. So everything you just said, the other side of it is using extrinsic rewards, which sounds like if we're playing ping pong right now, mental ping pong, and we're designing an experiment and we try to rationalize it from a theoretical perspective. So we're bringing in all these behavioral economics concepts and we're really thinking through the psychological aspects. There's some experiments that can be designed that might seem on paper like they aren't a good idea. So one being, let's use loss aversion. Let's bring in an extrinsic factor and use the concept of loss aversion and say, should we tie that into health and wellness? On the surface, that sounds like a terrible idea, right? For, because it's maybe inspiring the wrong outcomes in people. It's like, well, are we actually getting them to do the right things? It's fear-based. Exactly, which is the opposite of what we're trying to achieve with health, right? We're saying, no, let's make it a positive experience. Let's make people understand from an education perspective what this whole journey of health and wellness is. Let's give them the right tools. Let's give them the elements of joy and surprise and all of these, like all these great things. So where it comes into play is we've got the wearable challenge, which is the group Aaron Hansen and Justin Maris have designed this weight loss challenge for people where they pay money before they start the challenge and they have to earn it back, right? So it's like loss aversion and it's their own money and, and, and. So you think like, does that really seem right? But the outcome is that people say, hey, this is what I needed. And they not only enjoy the experience, but some sign up again and again because they say, I've tried. It's almost like their willingness to pay is inelastic, right? Yeah. Like their, their goal, their, we'll call it not just their willingness to pay. Their goal is inelastic. Like they're just like, I'm willing, I've tried everything in the world. At this point, I'm willing to do whatever it's going to take to achieve my goal. And so then that's where willingness to pay being inelastic comes in that where they're just like, I don't care. Like I want to do this thing. So how do you think about the like experimentation when it comes to some of these things where it's like on paper, they can sound kind of goofy or silly or maybe like dark, right? Maybe it's like not cueing the right outcome, but then people actually try it and you're like, wow, like that is yeah. completely the opposite of my hypothesis, what I thought would happen. Yeah. I would call that pain aversion, right? And I'd also call that accountability and just be like a uh, skin in the game. It's a good, great way to put it, right? Like, like, hey, I'm like, I'm invested in this. And I would call it a hack more than a, like it's a hack for a great, for a subset, right? So like I wouldn't, or maybe we'll call them a set, but like subset would be, I think more fair. One of the trendiest ones on that same note, like, hey, post yourself, take a picture of yourself that captures your body in its current shape and then post it and then get on this thing because now you've created this social accountability. You've got everybody looking to say, okay, she, he posted, her person posted this thing and their shape and they're saying, this is bad as I'm gonna let it get. And then from here on out, like check back in next number of months, right? They're creating accountability and their commitment is there upfront. And it's one of the ways of doing it. I mean, for us, it's like spend a couple hundred bucks on a CGM. It's like, Hey, if I'm buying this, if I'm putting this thing on, I got to do, I'm committed now I'm invested. I got to, I got to see, I'd be interested to see how many of those people lose their money. I'd also be interested to see, which is a great business for them. I've been to houses where I come in and I'm like, Oh, that's an amazing, um, Bowflex. You know, you get the whole thing and they're like, yeah. And you can see the layer of dust on it and that they're not a Bowflex person, but like, 
it's sunken costs. Like you talked about, it's like, oh, I, it just didn't stick. They didn't build a habit around it. They didn't give themselves like back to the, you mentioned uh, when you were in the bull in the china shop, you mentioned the shoelaces thing, right? So or the, the lay your stuff out. People, you know, I'm going to drop this thing right here and that's going to make me do it. So that doesn't hit motivation. You can be creating a trigger. You can be saying that like you're pushing up triggers in a lot of ways or you're trying to manufacture triggers, but like the motivation doesn't necessarily mean it's behind that trigger. Yeah. You got to put that Bowflex in front of the bedroom door. <laughs> yeah, right. It's so hard. And I feel like I'm talking like I know this maybe even better than you. I got a flag. A lot of this is just, it's such a multi-variable problem and it's so individual and complex and it's an end of one problem in a lot of ways. Health is in a lot of ways. But there's simple stuff that we know, right? And that's why one of the beauties and the focus, I love David Sinclair's work. It's just like going to this like root problem, like get down to the, like he went down to a first principle to, to like define this, like, well, him and a married other people, I'm not properly crediting, but like to like understand that like when you get too much sugar or, uh, well, like, I mean, uh, glucose, we call it like really ATP is the uh, currency by which all life form exchanges for movement and energy, right? Don't have to go that far into the weeds, but like if you can get it at the right amount, you can reduce inflammation. And like when you look at an AI company I worked at prior, we looked at CT scans and we looked for hotspots. We used AI to train hotspot finding. Hotspot finding was inflammation. Inflammation was basically stored glucose from what I've come to understand. Getting at this fundamental low level, this one thing, some people would call like, oh, maybe glucose is just like this, the new trend of like, you know, first it was this and it was that. I think it's actually pinpointing the problem. I don't think there's a sub problem lower than that one. It's all the biometric markers. There are so many of them that contribute to overall metabolic health. And that's the key is educating people about not just what the levels are, but giving them insight into the way that they fluctuate day to day. That's yeah. the problem with the way health and wellness has been undertaken up to this day is that it's, hey, go get a check and come back. 365 days later and get another check. And it's like that one data point in over the course of a year means this for you. And that's just like the wrong way of going about it because that is not the way that our bodies work. They continue to fluctuate and there are biomarkers that are ever changing. And so that's wow. what it comes down to. There's a lot of work to do when it comes to helping people to understand what the markers are, what they mean, giving them the right education and tools, and then helping them to create habits that mm -hmm. will allow those to change over time. Totally. So we've talked about triggers. We've talked about action. We talked about everything in different pockets, but just to like close it, you know, trigger action investment. So reward, I take a pretty, like, I actually start at this. I start at like, because I see uh, cost benefit analysis upfront as cost reward every screen, I'll look at it as I'm designing it and I'll think, where's the reward here? The cognitive load, the like, how much information are we presenting at a time? And then like, what am I getting out of it? Like, well, like every screen, there's countless, right? I have these little green bars in my head, like little red, green. And cognitive load, well, this is the interesting part about reward. Load can be through the roof and the reward is a little higher, still happens. You still see it. You pay taxes, I pay taxes. Taxes are terrible. I hate doing it. I do it every year and I hate it. It makes just talking about it, I get like a pinch in my shoulder, but it's a physical reaction. I hate being taxes. But the reward is that I don't go to jail. <laughs> and like, and there you go. I don't want to go to jail and I don't want to spend more than I'm already going to spend on taxes. I have like this fun brain tease. Some people try to get out of it and say they wouldn't do it, but I, the majority of people. So like I say right now, Ben, hey, 
I'm a little cold and I left a sweater outside of your place. It's somewhere within like a couple blocks of your house. I forgot where I parked. My car's there. Will you go run out and just like, I don't have my keys, just like break the window and like grab my sweater. You're like, no, <laughs> you know, like, you know, because you have a draft, you're barely cold. You know, we're buddies, but I'm not going to go and break into a car to get you a sweater. And then, okay, now let's, let's wind all the way back. Ben, I'm about to flee the country. I left $750 million in the back of a black car. It's in a bag, unmarked bills, untraceable. It's all yours. I can't get it on this airplane. I'm about to go get on this helicopter. And I like run off and you hear a helicopter. So it's like, that's what you're left with. Are you going to just leave 750 million in that car? That's like, go right there. The load went from, all you have to do is just like roam around. It's a black car. You will see the bag inside the window. It's like, no, no, at least go check it out. It's like, all right, smashing a window. How bad is that for 700? And I can do it. I mean, you go to a billion. I guess everybody's got a different number, right? But like, I've had people back. I used to start with a million. Be like, I would never do that. I would never do that. And it's like, think about that for a little bit. That car's sitting out there and I'm gone. I just left in a helicopter. So it's like when the load is just slightly higher than the like, it's there. Like the reward, you can paint reward as long as it's higher than load. It's a really fun game to play, if anything. Mm-hmm.